Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Awesome. Thanks, worship team. Did an awesome job tonight. Let's give our worship team a hand. They always do a great job. I worked out the other day, our worship team on a Sunday, if they're the same team, morning and night, spend about nearly eight hours at church, something like that. So, uh, so that's a commitment, especially when most of them are working full time and doing all that kind of stuff. So um, we really appreciate you guys. I think we should give our whole worship team another big hand. So uh, take a seat tonight. And uh, this morning, Pastor Ross started to talk about uh, he started to talk about the life and power of Jesus and all that kind of stuff and started to go down a subject. And when he started to, it was what the subject I'm going to talk about tonight, and that's eternity. And, uh, and through the week, um, I'm not sure if I've even spoken on this subject as a message ever. Uh, but tonight I want to talk to you about eternity. And maybe it's not a subject that everyone talks about uh, all the time or you hear messages about all the time but I wanted to talk about eternity all the time and uh, he talked about heaven he talked about hell he talked about life after death and and he didn't shy away from it but he openly talked about it and people had questions about it and to, wanted to know answers about eternity now many people in our world spend a lot of time and maybe and we do as well preparing or thinking about our life on earth. We spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, what am I going to buy a car or buy a house or what am I going to do for my family or planning a holiday? We prepare for doing life on earth, okay? We do that all the time. And a lot of people do that and it's fine to do that. But some people, that's all they prepare for and they never think about life after death. They never think about eternity, and I'm not talking about death, because when as soon as I mention eternity, people go, oh, you're talking about people dying. No, I'm talking about living after you die. I'm talking about life after death. Death is a blink of an eye. When someone dies, they don't just think, oh, I've died. What am I going to do now? It's one moment they're here, the next moment they're there. As quick as you blink your eyes, you're in another place. You're in eternity that quick. And so my question, one of the questions I have tonight is this, have you prepared for living after you die? Have you prepared or thought about living after you die? Because I believe that we need to live our lives in the light of eternity, with eternity in mind. That means we, do, we don't want to just live, our focus shouldn't just be on eternity, because it is, we just think, oh, well, I've got everything I'm doing, I'm planning for, you know, life after death, and I'll make sure everything's right and in order, and we can get very self-focused when you just live that way. There's people that have lived that way as well, and they go down that track, and they're not worried about everything else. I'm just trying to get everything in order, because, you know, one day I'm going to die, and make sure my life's right with God, and all that kind of stuff. But we need to live life on earth to the full like Jesus wants us to but we need to live it with a perspective of eternity and not just forget about oh, that it's way off you know and, and when people obviously get older you know and, and near the end of their life and, and if there might be people that you know don't know God or don't have any Christian faith or any faith in anything they start to think about maybe maybe what if there is something they start they've lived their life and they get to the end of their life and go they start to go is that it is this it for ever? 
like I'm, this is it. Like is this, this 70, 80, 90 years, is this all it is? And then I'm never ever going to experience everything ever again. Is that it for life? And some people believe that. But the Bible clearly tells us that we're a, we have a spirit, a soul that lives on, that goes beyond. And when you put it in terms of eternity... We our actually our life. If you put it, if you had a ruler, or if you had, if you stretched out eternity, which you can't do because it just goes on forever. Our life on earth is actually the blink of an eye compared to your eternal life. So, if something, if you are, if you're planning a trip, and you've lived somewhere for a while, and you are planning to go somewhere, you're planning to go overseas, and you're going to live there for a long time. Say you were 20, 25 years old and, and you're planning to go to another country and you said, I'm going to end up living the rest of my life in this country. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. And if you said, I'm, I'm going to go there, you tell people you're planning to go there. And then if you just go, oh yeah, I'm going on this date, this time, and you do nothing in preparation for it. And then a few days before you're going, oh, they ask, oh, you're, when you're leaving, you say, yeah, I'm going in a couple of days. And so you're ready to go, oh, and I haven't done anything about it, but I'm going in a couple of days. And I say, well, but what about can you get into the country? Have you got like a visa? Have you got like all this? Have you booked a plane flight? Oh, no, I'll just rock up. I'll get a, I'll get a flight. I've got, oh, I'll take, oh, you're going to take, yeah, I'll take some stuff with me. I can, I'll get stuff over there. What if they don't let you in the country? Oh, they will. I'm a good person. I'm good. Done nothing wrong. I haven't hurt anybody. They'll, they'll, they'll think I'm a great person. They'll just let me in. If I want to go live in Syria, it should be fine. Now, if you, if you, um, if you, if, so, if someone had a conversation with you like that, you would say, you're not going to get out of this country, mate. Like, you just, you're not going to get, they're not going to let you in. You've got nothing to prepare for that time. You need to prepare for what you're about to do. We would think that's silly, and yet people all over this planet live their life like that towards eternity. They don't think about life after death. They don't think about living after they die. And sometimes, sadly, that if they don't do anything about it, they're going to suddenly, in a moment, pass away and turn up in eternity, and it may be not where they want to be. And so there's a story in the Bible about about this, and I'm going to read that in a moment. But recently, we talked a bit, you've heard, obviously, most of us know Billy Graham died weeks ago now. And uh, he talked about eternity, and there's some quotes and things he said about eternity. And I just want to read a couple of them to you, and because uh, he's there, he's there, he's in heaven. He's uh, he was 99 years old, nearly made 100, and he's in heaven, uh, loving life, talking to everyone, and and probably meeting people that came to know Jesus in the in the meetings that he had. And so he said this. He says, someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. Else shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's his perspective of eternity. That's how he lived his life. He said, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. He said, when we all reach the end of our earthly journey, we will have just begun. Heaven doesn't make this life less important. It makes it more important because the way we live our life and the choices we make when we live now determines our eternal destination. So I want to read a story to you to do with eternity. Now, 
Jesus told lots of parables, lots of stories, and a lot of them that were they were they were uh, they told a truth, but a lot of them were made up. They used characters that might have been just a, just he said like it was a, a Samaritan or Israelite or it might have been a Jew or a Gentile. He used a person or a people group or something like that. There's not many stories where he named people, but this story is a story where he actually names people the actual name of the person. And many Bible scholars believe that this story he wasn't just it wasn't just a made up story, even if it a real scenario that actually happened. And so the story is found in Luke 18, or sorry, Luke 16, 19 to 31, and I want to read it to you. It says this, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, if we were to stop right there and I ask you this question, out of those two people, who do you want to be? Who wants to be Lazarus lying at the gate with, uh, with the sores on their leg, with the dogs visiting daily? Anyone want to be that person? Who would rather be the rich man? Who doesn't want to be either of them? You have to choose, okay? So, obviously, if I was to give that scenario to all the 90% of people, nearly 100% of people are going to go, well, I want to be the rich man, okay? You're going to get that far and go, well, obviously, I did. You know, I want to be that person if I had the choice, if I had to be one of them. So, we read on and it says this, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit at Abraham, beside Abraham at a heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity, have some pity. Send Lazarus, <laughs> the poor guy, over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he has been comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Remember, this is before Jesus died on the cross, so he's talking about the Old Testament. Remember, as Moses and the prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead... So he's asking for someone to be raised back from the dead. Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. So he knew what he needed to do and hadn't done it. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there's a few things. Now, after reading that story, um, who do you want to be? Who wants to be the rich man now? You want to be Abraham. You can't be Abraham, okay? Pastor Ross, you can't be Abraham. 
You can be the other two. Um, now, obviously, you know, when you put the whole thing in perspective, the point I want to make is that's the perspective of eternity. A lot of people live their lives is to look at people around them right now and say, well, look, that person's that, this person's that, don't want to be them, I'd rather be them. But God doesn't look at all that we have or all that we don't have. He looks at the condition of our heart. And so you can, have, you can be rich and your heart condition can be good. And yes, you will go to heaven, you know, spend eternity with God. You, obviously, the, Jesus doesn't talk about it, but the, the poor man had a relationship with God. That's why he ended up in heaven and the rich man didn't. And so God looks at the condition of our heart, not what we have or what we don't have, not at, you know, what we're, if we're physically sick or physically well, he looks at the inside of our heart. So we need to live our lives in the light of eternity. We need to look at the big picture of, of how we're living our life because how we live and what we say and what we do affects our destination. We learn a few things about eternity in this story. I want to list them to you. It tells us a, a gives us a glimpse of what it means to be in eternity. You notice there's two destinations after death. One is heaven and one in this story is Hades or, or hell. And there's a whole um, picture around that because after Jesus died, there's a whole well, he went down and preached to those in this place that they're talking about in this story, but that's a whole other subject. But you notice there's two places. There's heaven and there's hell. You, and you couldn't move between the two. So we can't go, oh, I don't really want to be here anymore. I'd rather go there because that's what he was asking. He said, can I, no, you can't get out of this place. So you can at least send someone to help me in my torment because this is terrible. No, we can't move between the two places. How they live their life and the decisions they made on earth determine their eternal destination, to determine where they ended up. We see that in the story. The rich man was in pain so he could feel. So he's in eternity, but he was still feeling pain like he did on earth. He felt physical pain. He said there was anguish. He says, it's hot. My tongue is burning. Okay, so this is what all the things he's describing. So you can still feel things in eternity. He could remember, they could remember uh, their life on earth. He could still remember what he could remember his family on earth. He could remember what was going on on earth. He could remember all this stuff in eternity. Okay, so we still remember the life on earth that we live, this story shows us. The rich man didn't, and the thing is about the rich man, suddenly he's like, he wouldn't help the poor man at his door, but suddenly he's in eternity in this terrible place. And in this place, he's like, I don't want anyone, I don't want any of my family to end up where I am because it's so bad. So he's suddenly desperately saying, can you please go and tell someone? He suddenly had this concern for his family and other people. Can you please send someone to tell them that they need to repent and give their lives to God so they don't end up in this place? Can you please send someone? But Abraham said, no, it's too late. You can't, we can't send someone. They need to listen and make the decision for themselves while they're living their um, life on earth because the, they, they can hear it on earth. The message is there but they need to make the decision down there. So we learn some things about eternity. There's another story, another um, lot of scripture I want to read that puts this a bit into perspective that Jesus also said, and it's in Matthew 25, 
verse 31 onwards, and he, he's having another conversation with people. And this will give us a bit of an enlightenment about what he's talking about with, with Lazarus, and the, who was the poor man and, and the rich man, and how he treated him. Because how we treat people to God is very important. Listen to this. It says, But when the Son of Man comes... This is Jesus speaking, in his glory and all the angels with him, then, will, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his right. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Because they're thinking, Jesus, we didn't do anything like that to you. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, and Jesus calls them my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. See, hell was never prepared for people, but it was prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you, didn't, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away in eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life sometimes we don't want to hear messages like this but it's the reality it's reality because there's a whole bunch of people within 100 meters of this church that I know aren't going to heaven at the moment and so we need to have an eternal perspective like Jesus did because when we have an eternal perspective and have the heart of God, it causes us to not just think about ourselves, but we start to look at our neighbors and people we run into regularly, and we start to ask the question, I wonder where they're going to spend eternity. And we need to ask that question, where are they going to spend eternity? Do they know what it really means? Do they ever think about eternity? Do they ever, do they know Jesus? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? Pastor Ross talked about it this morning. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. Plenty of good people can say, I've been so good, they'll just let me in. Like I'm going to another country, they'll just let me in because I'm a good person. No, they won't. God won't. Jesus clearly said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It doesn't come through being a good religious person or doing the right things, trying to be good and all that kind of stuff. It's great to do the good things, but we're, at the heart of it, we're all sinners. At the heart of it, we've all done the wrong thing. And Jesus is the only one. When we accept him, he's the only way. 
He's the only truth. He's the only life, and we need to accept him. Then it's like God says, here's your ticket to eternity. Here's your ticket to heaven. It's through his son. It's through what Jesus has done, accepting him as Lord and Savior. And that Lord means that you're laying down your life, saying, Jesus, I'm no longer in control of my life. I give my life to you, and now I follow you and live life your way. Lord and Savior. So how we treat people, that scripture, how we treat people is very, in, very much important to God, especially those that are in need, who are sick. In, you know, from that scripture alone that Jesus is saying, he said, he's basically saying God loves all these people, these poor people, these sick people, and it's very important to him how we treat them. And, you know, we... This, our church is helping people all the time as much as we can and people rock up at our door through the week who are, you know, in desperate situations sometimes who are homeless, who are hungry, who are, and, you know, and we do our best to help them. And there's, I'm sure there's people in your worlds where you meet people up the street or you know of people and, and you step out and help them and that's exactly what God's saying. That's the way we need to live life. That's God, that pleases God's heart. But the problem comes like, you know, we've got the rich man and he's got Lazarus who's sick, who's, who's all basically dying and he's covered in sores and obviously not well and, and he knows he's there but he does nothing about it. And that angers God and breaks God's heart. And so because it shows the rich man's heart. When we live with eternity in mind, we have a heart for people like God does. We need to have a heart for people like God has a heart for people. God loves the brokenhearted. He loves those that are broken, who are hurting, that have, you know, that are away from him. He loves someone as far away from him as much as he loves someone who knows him. His heart, and he wants us to reach out to those who are broken. I want to share a story about two different people in history. And uh, the first one, and, I, and there's, I, I read the words of this song again, and, and I picked up something in this song that we focus on one part of the song, but he talks about a few other things I want to talk about at the end. But the story of Amazing Grace and John Newton. And, uh, and a lot, there's a movie about it. You can watch the movie. just want to read you a few things about John Newton's life. He was a slave trader. He was a ship's captain, sailed all over the world. And, uh, and he was not a good guy. And, uh, and I'll just read you a bit about his life. And he, was, uh, on the, on, he went on many different ships, sailed all over the world, um, got involved with the tr- um, slave trade from you know, Africa, bring slaves back to England and all that kind of stuff for many years. And it says this, while on board the ship Greyhound, Newton gained notoriety for being one of the most profane men the captain have ever met. Now, we're talking about people on a ship and they were just, you know, they were pretty, they had foul mouths and all the rest of it. They weren't the nicest guys, most of them, and they're out at sea or whatever and and they'd be pretty rough guys. And he had the reputation of being the worst of the worst. The captain said he's the worst he ever met. In a culture where sailors commonly used oaths and swore, Newton was admonished several times for not only using the worst words the captain had ever heard, but creating new ones to exceed the limits of verbal debauchery. he just make up new ones. This is the kind of guy he was. In March 1748, while the Greyhound was in the North Atlantic, a violent storm came upon the ship that was so rough it swept overboard a crew member who was standing where Newton had been moments before. 
After hours of the crew emptying water from the ship and expecting to be capsized, Newton and another mate tied themselves to the ship's pump to keep from being washed overboard, working for several hours. After proposing the measure to the captain, Newton had turned and said, If this will not do, then Lord have mercy upon us. In other words, he said, God help us. Newton uh, resisted, uh, rested briefly before returning to the deck to steer for the next 11 hours. The storm went for a long time. During his time at the wheel, he pondered his divine challenge. And, the, and if you read other excerpts, it says that when he called that out, shortly after that, a wave hit the boat and a hole had been put in the side of the boat. They were taking on water and cargo slid from one side of the ship to the other and actually blocked the hole and plugged the hole. After he cried out to God. About two weeks later, two weeks later, it took this still, they were out in this storm for a long time. Two weeks later, the battered ship and starving crew landed in uh, low, swilly island. For several weeks before the storm, Newton had been reading the Christian's pattern, a summary of the 15th century, the imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. The memory of his own Lord, uh, Lord have mercy upon us, uttered during a moment of desperation in the storm, did not leave him. He began to ask if he was really worthy of God's mercy or in any way redeemable as he had not only uh, neglected his faith but directly opposed it, mocking others who showed theirs, uh, deriding and denouncing God as a myth. He came to believe that God had sent him a profound message and had begun to work through him. So this was the beginning of his conversion. For still a fair time after that, he was still involved in slave trading. He didn't suddenly change his ways in a moment, but he was still involved with taking, he went on about three more uh, trips with slaves. But in, while he was doing this, something was going on in his, in his life and he was changing. He did it for some time later, but eventually left it and became a minister. He became a pastor. And he left that and thought, you know, I need to get my life right. And a whole series of things happen. And he finds himself as a minister of a church. And in this small town of about 2,500 people, the church grew rapidly. Another guy came and joined him. And it grew so quick that they needed to start uh, weekly prayer meetings, which they did. And each week, they would write a new poem or a new song or, or a new writing of some kind and bring it to the prayer meeting each week, he wrote over nearly 300 songs and hymns and, and poems and things like that, John himself. And in 1772, he came to the prayer meeting that day and with the words of amazing grace. And he read it to the people. It wasn't a song at that stage, but he just wrote the words out. And in later years, it was put to music and became the song we know today. And I want to read you those, these words. Because the song regarding his life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. Grace has brought me here thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When his flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. 
The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. And I want you to listen to the words of this last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. I want you to watch this short clip out of a movie, Amazing Grace, when he has this scene. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people. Everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. <laughs> I weeping. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. <laughs> I once was blind. But now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. <laughs> We've lots of work to do, you and I. So that was William Wilberforce, and from that moment on, that to play. Um, shows a conversation they had regarding that. And in his old age, he wrote what he was referring to was this book detailing all the stuff that really went on the slave ships. And that's what they used to, uh, to free, to stop slavery. And in, um, John became very involved with that. Um, and under the leadership of MP William Wilberforce, which is the other guy in the picture there, the English civil government outlawed slavery in Great Britain in 1807. And Newton lived to see it, dying in December of that year. And so we talk, we remember that song. That amazing grace is sung every year over 10 million times, performed over 10 million times worldwide. It's probably the most sung song uh, in history. And um, we talk about, you know, we focus on the grace, which is incredible, amazing grace, how sweet the sound but that last verse, it shows us the perspective of John Newton because it says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. He lived, when he, when he really saw the grace that Jesus had, he lived with an eternity perspective. 
his, it was all about grace to live on this earth, but he saw beyond this life. He saw all those 20,000 ghosts, he called them, that, that he can't remember their names, but although he's referring to all those slaves he transported by ship, 20,000 himself personally on ships. And he thought about them. He thought about their eternity. He thought about the eternity of people around him. And he puts it all together and he said, we're there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. In other words, he said, he said it's our life flows into eternity. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. From the moment when he began to worship and praise God as his Savior, he said, I'm just going to continue that into eternity. For thousands upon thousands of years. He had an eternal perspective. There's another man from Sydney, and uh, his name is Arthur Stace. Uh, people called him, they called him Mr. Eternity. And uh, you may remember that uh, he was the man, there's a movie I think about it now, there's also a book telling you about who he was and what he did. And for many years they didn't know who he was, and he used to walk all through Sydney and he'd write the words Eternity on pavements and walls and all these places. And I've got a picture, can we throw that picture up? In 1999, it was that long ago, I remember that, it was that long ago, that was New Year's Eve 1999, the start of a new millennium, and there was fireworks happened on that night uh, in Sydney and all over the world, and there was over 2 billion viewers watching, and that everyone sort of rates the fireworks and the celebration, and that year... Around the world, they said Sydney was by far the best celebration around the world. And the fireworks finished with that written on there in reference to him. Since then, I've seen many other things floating up on that thing at New Year's Eve that are a bit different to eternity. But they put that up there and people said that, you know, it wasn't the amount of money they spent on the fireworks... It wasn't all this that was going on. When people looked at it, why it had so much impact, they said it was because of that one word and because of the impact that one word had, and that's actually what made it stand out around the world. He, uh, Arthur, you can leave that up. The Arthur Stace, uh, he was in the war. He came out of the war. He didn't know God. He wasn't a Christian. He came out of the war and, and, uh, and then listened to an evangelist, encountered God and powerfully in one night in a park. And then for the next 35 years, he walked the streets of Sydney and in place in Melbourne as well and, and different places around the place. And he wrote the words eternity for 35 years. That's all he did. They called it like a one-word sermon. And uh, he wrote that and they said they estimate that that word was written 500,000 times in 35 years. That's about 40 times a day. 500,000 times, I estimate. And so, and then it had so much an impact. For many years, they didn't know who was doing it. And then finally, they found out who it was and they wanted to meet him. And, impact. and all he did was write the word eternity, which made people stop and think. And if you go, um, you know, down to Sydney, it's written in the pavement. And this is what someone wrote about that message on the bridge. They said, like a message from heaven flashed across the world stage to billions of souls, it shone like a beacon, warning that a time is swiftly passing and we are cre cre creatures of eternity. There was a sermon in a word, the magnitude of which can only be grasped 
by, as one understands the story behind it. In downtown Sydney, set in the pavement at Sydney Square, is the same inescapable word, eternity. In faultless copper plate writing, he used to write in that same font every time, it was put there to perpetuate the memory of Sydney's unique citizen, Arthur Stace, otherwise known as Mr. Eternity. All he did is write a word, eternity. And if you read the book, I've heard a few stories, but since he's died and that book has come out, there's stories started coming out of all the people that saw that word and how it stopped them in their tracks and made them think. And so many people, there's been hundreds of people that have come to Christ because of seeing that word written and it stopped them and made them think about their life and made them think and there's suddenly after he died all these stories kept coming out of people they wrote into one of a christian organization australia said oh well i've since seen that i've i now go to a church and this happened to me and that happened to me and there's hundreds of stories and before he died he was actually able to hear some of them because he thought it was having no impact at all he thought the people weren't really he didn't hear any stories he didn't know he did it for 35 years he didn't know of one person to come to christ himself if you read the book. And so then, just before he dies, someone says, he hears a couple of stories. And then after that, there's all these stories come out of all these people that have actually been impacted by him writing that word. Eternity. Just a simple one word. A one word sermon making people stop and think about eternity. How often do you stop and think about eternity? Do you live, do I live, do we live our life with an eternal perspective. It's easy to live our life. We want to help people on this earth and we want to do that and live that. But we need to be thinking beyond that. We need to be thinking, what, where is this person I talk to, I see all the time, where are they going to spend? It's a real thing. Where are they going to spend eternity? It's a lot longer than this earth. It's, it's important because it's forever. It's forever. And you can't change it. We can make decisions, we can make mistakes on earth here, and we can right those mistakes, and we can make a new decision, and we can even give our lives to God, we can turn away from Him, and He'll say, you can, and you can come back to Him and repent, and, and come back and follow God, but after we die in eternity, you can't change that. And that's why Jesus didn't hold back, that's why Jesus didn't shy away, He said, this is important, this, and people need to know that it's important. And, it, and it's not easy to sometimes confront people. I don't want to talk about that. But if you get an opportunity, when you're praying for people, when you're thinking about people, start to think about that question. Where is this family member? Where is this friend at work? Where is this? Do they really know God? Do they ever, have they ever thought about eternity? Maybe one day you'll get an opportunity to just say to them, have you ever thought about eternity? Never thought about, people understand what eternity is. They understand that word. You don't have to say life after death. You can just say, do you ever thought about eternity? What do you think that means? You might be surprised at what they answer. It might be that one question that actually stops them in their tracks that day. And they start to, maybe for the next few days, start to think about, I wonder why they asked me that question. Because all of us on the inside, I think all of us at some point, some people, they get to a point in their life where they're like, they, they, it, that, that question goes through their mind. When, when life's tough or where they have an experience where they've nearly died or they've got sick or something like that, and they, that question about, is this it? 
is there something, maybe there's something more. And then sometimes you find they'll rock up a church or they'll, something will happen or they'll want to talk to someone about, you know, I had this experience. And people, the, the question's there and God wants us to reach out to them. And we need to be ready because we, if we've got the same heart as Jesus had, then we're ready to say, you know, our, our heart, our, our lives should go out to them. Our, our desire should be that, hey, I care about you enough to ask that question. I care about your eternal destination to ask that question or ask you about eternity. We started with some quotes from Billy Graham. And I just want to mention a couple. Can I have the worship team to come up? He also said this, that some people spend their lives building ultimate dream homes so they can enjoy their twilight years. Some find themselves exchanging their bank accounts for residence with the gates of a retirement center. Others spend their last days in a nursing home. For those of you who do not know him, choosing your eternal home is the most important decision you'll ever make. Choosing your eternal home. There's nothing wrong with preparing for retirement or having a home or anything like that, but if that's all we're thinking about, then that can be a real problem. We need to prepare for both. Then he says this, Billy Graham says this, I'm counting totally and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ and not on Billy Graham. I'm not going to heaven because I've read the Bible, nor because I've preached to a lot of people. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did. I want you to stand tonight. Tonight may be a message that maybe it's been a bit uncomfortable for you. That's okay. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not sure where you would spend eternity. I don't know every single person here. Maybe you really know. Maybe you don't know. Or maybe you're not sure. If you're not sure then maybe you need to be certain of it because you can know for sure. You can know for sure that Jesus has forgiven you. You can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible clearly says that. It says if we confess our sins, say to God, you know, this, I'm sorry, this is what I've done wrong. The Bible says he's faithful and he's just. That means he'll do the right thing to forgive you of your sin, cleanse you, wipe away all unrighteousness. In other words, he forgives us. He like wipes the slate clean. You can know for sure. You can know for sure. Just close your eyes just for a moment in this place. Because I want you to think about your life for a moment. Think about your eternity. Think about eternity for a moment. Do you know for sure? Brand knew for sure. Arthur Stace knew for sure. John Newton knew for sure. John Newton was the worst of sinners and he would have told you face to face if he was here tonight. But he realized that Christ is a wonderful saviour. Christ is a wonderful saviour. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, but you're saying tonight, I want to be sure. Tonight, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me. I want to follow him with all my heart so that I know that I know. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.